Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing? I pray that you're well and that all is well, that all manner of things are well. Uh, They're not well uh, according to um, our view, Um, but God is on his throne. And again, I've said it uh, more times than I could ever count or remember, nothing touches us that God does not allow. And so it may not be his... um, his, um, uh, what is the word, prevention, it might not be his will, but it is his permissive will. If he allows it, no matter what it is, it could be from the devil, it could be from um, sinful men, uh, from my own sin, it could be from all kinds of uh, avenues. But all I know, when something hits us, regardless of its degree of surprise or error or evil, I immediately know that God has allowed it and that he works all things to good, um, together for good, for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Not for everybody, but for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose, Romans eight twenty eight. And so we have such craziness going on in the church today that... Um, it, God is building his church. He's still on his throne, and uh, the gates of hell will not prevail. I have a, an online subscription uh, to Crisis Magazine, really outstanding magazine. Eric Sammons is the editor, and um, he recently interviewed um, Deacon Keith Fournier of Tyler, and I sent that out. That interview is so good, I sent it out as an email mailing to all that are on our list. And let me mention this to you, that um, our um, Christmas newsletter is 32 pages. It's the biggest we've ever done, and it's at the printer. And they're going to be in the mail to us tomorrow, and then we're going to mail it out to all that are on our mailing list. I wanted to get to you before Advent. It covers Advent and Christmas season right through to the purification of our Lord in the temple, which is February 2nd. And so if you're on our list, you will get it, email and or regular mail. If you're not on our list and you wish to be, we don't charge a penny for this. Just go to our website, motherofisraelshope.org, and um, you can sign up for the email again, um, uh, for the newsletter rather, by email, uh, by regular mail, and or both. Uh, we're okay. We're, we're happy to spend the postage to send this out. Our times are so awful, and what we want to communicate, um, especially on the um, restoration and the survival of the family, is so important. So, uh, motherofisraelshope.org, click on the newsletter tab toward the right, and sign up today. Um, there is still time for you to get that newsletter. Okay. Um, This morning in Crisis Magazine, there's normally two articles. There's three this morning. And one of them I read, I want to read it to you. Um, 
uh, the title is Welcome to Muck, M-U-C-K, Muck Island. Um, years ago, I saw a film simply titled Catholics, or The Catholics, I think just Catholics. And it was somewhat confusing to me because I could hardly believe if I, if I got it right what was happening. But I did get it right. This article refers to that film. And that film is futuristic. It speaks about what is happening around Vatican IV. And I tell you, um, they speak of Vatican IV, but what is going on in this film, as described in this article, is going on now, uh, past Vatican II. It's, it's among us right now. It's, it's Twilight Zone. So I'm going to read this article. And it, it, what um, prompted it um, by the author, who is uh, Monsignor Richard Antall, A-N-T-A-L-L, who's written a couple of books. Um, I think this is outstanding. And what prompted him was the removal of Bishop Strickland. And he starts the article saying, <clears throat> I watched the EWTN interview of Bishop Strickland last night and had nightmares while I slept. Now, that was, if you didn't see it, with Raymond Arroyo on The World Over, I think it was the best interview that Bishop Strickland has given of many interviews. Um, and he says he watched it last night. And uh, now this is published today, but he wrote the article um, and then send it to crisis. He said, I watched it last night and had nightmares while I slept. The bishop, that's Bishop Strickland, articulate and to my mind, innocent of all irony, recounted what had happened in his process of deposition and professed his recognition of the Pope's authority and his obedience to his removal from office. The sincerity of the man's confusion about why he was singled out was piercing. I love, I, I love this uh, priest description of Father, uh, of Bishop Strickland. It's it just beautiful. He says the sincerity of the man's, Bishop Strickland's confusion <clears throat> about why he was singled out was piercing. Many sources have hinted at administrative reasons without any real evidence. The fact that the protocol established for the removal of bishops was not honored did not make him doubt the Pope's authority. His distress at the confusion caused by some of the statements that have come from the Vatican lately is logical and not some extremist reaction. He said, for instance, <clears throat> that only two years ago the Vatican had said same-sex couple blessings were impossible. Yet the topic was introduced at the Synod on Synodality. The president of that assembly is on record doubting the biblical and traditional church teaching on sexual relations outside of marriage for same-sex attracted individuals. <clears throat> Strickland's, Strickland's surprise that he has been removed from his diocese while other bishops contradict ancient church teaching and pastoral practice was honest and made me doubt the criticism he has received from some, some unexpected quarters. I read, for instance, says Father, I read, for instance, 
that Strickland should not have traveled to other dioceses and spoken his mind on issues because that was the monopoly of the local ordinary. I'm, 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 I'm guessing um, that it speaks of uh, Bishop Strickland going to Los Angeles to counter the insanity at the Dodgers game. He says a geographical, this is important, a geographical restriction to a bishop's preaching would have robbed us of the letters of St. Ignatius of Antioch, the courageous resistance of St. Athanasius to the Arian heresy, and the heroic valor of exiled bishops from St. Anne and St. Thomas Becket to modern times. The experience of seeing his um, uh, televised, this is Bishop Strickland, the experience of seeing his televised version of um, Apologia, Apologia Pro Vita Sua, that was the title of um, Cardinal's, uh, Cardinal uh, John Henry Newman's um, uh, defense of his uh, journey to the Catholic Church, Apologia Pro Vita Sua, made me compare his plight, and Bishop Strickland's plight, and those like-minded with Brian Moore's novella, Catholics, which was written in 1972 in that brilliant short novel. An American priest named James Kinsella is sent to Muck Island, Ireland, to discipline an Irish monastery of his same Albigensia, Albigensian, this is a fictional order, for disobedience to the teaching of Vatican IV. I tell you, reading this article finally made this film clear to me. It, it's been confusing, because what I assumed it meant is exactly what it means. But I said, how could it mean that? But it did. The monks continue to say the Tridentine Mass in Latin, and pilgrims from around the world come to their liturgy celebrated on an old mass rock, an allusion to the penal days in Ireland, a BBC report, and then a threatened American television special has made the Father General of the Order angry with Abbot Tomas O'Malley and his monks. Kinsella has plenipotentiary powers to force the monks to change their ways. There is concern in Rome that the World Ecumen Council, in which the, now this is fictional, the World Ecumen Council, it's supposed to be fictional, in which the Catholic Church now participates, is offended by the old mass, and also that the monastery is clinging to tradition and will cause problems with the apertura in initiative, in, I'm sorry, an initiative hoping for a merger between Buddhism and Christianity. Beloved, they're talking about Vatican IV. This is happening after Vatican II. This is a description of what's going on today. It's amazing. I'll continue this right after the break, dear ones. And after the second break, we'll take your calls and your emails. The toll-free number, one 511 5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross. Com. We'll be right back.
If the cares and anxieties of life are weighing you down, come to the St. Thomas More House of Prayer and allow the Lord to refresh your soul. The St. Thomas More House of Prayer is a Catholic retreat center devoted to praying and promoting the Liturgy of the Hours. You'll find a tranquil atmosphere that's ideal for deep prayer, whether as an individual or for a group retreat. We're located at 365 Hill City Road in Cranberry, Pennsylvania. Make your reservation today or learn more at liturgyofthehours.org. You can also call us at 814-676-1910. That's 814-676-1910. We would love to help you experience the Liturgy of the Hours and discover the prayer that will change your life. Magnificat Women's Breakfast, December 9th, with guest speaker Dawn M. Iacono and her talk on spiritual motherhood and Marian moments in the pilgrimage of life. Dawn is a pro-life director, a former teacher, the founder of St. Gregory's Mom's Ministry, and current pastoral associate for the Catholic Family of South Buffalo. Be encouraged to stay Catholic strong and join other women of faith as we journey together under Mary's mantle. Clergy and religious have complimentary entry, and a discounted rate is available for high school and college students. Registration starts at 9.15, and the program kicks off at 9.30 at the M Hotel Buffalo, Walden Ave in Cheektowaga. The Magnificat Women's Breakfast, Saturday, December 9th. More information at magnificat-ministry.net. Then search under the Chapter tab for Diocese of Buffalo. Or call 716-683-2290. That's 716-683-2290. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am live and I am she and I'm thrilled to be with you. And um, we have just about 10 minutes before our next break, at which point we'll have a whole half hour to ourselves for calls and emails. Um, we're reading an article called Welcome to Muck Island, M-U-C-K. And it, it's in response to Bishop Strickland being removed with no reason whatsoever from the Vatican and, um, and the state that the church is in. And um, uh, let me just um, hold on a moment now. Um, it is Father, uh, rather than Senior Richard Antall, A-N-T-A-L-L, who has written this, and um, I just think he's done a fantastic job, and he's comparing our situation today to Muck Island, to a um, a monastery that was visited by the higher-ups uh, to control them and close down much of what they're doing. Um, I'd like to read it from the beginning, but I, I'm afraid I won't complete it if I do that. Um, hold on now. Um, <clears throat> there's two main characters in this novella, this um, um, book, which was later turned into a film titled Catholics. 
um, and I, I've said prior to the break, I saw this film some years ago, and I was very confused by it, and I assumed I never rightly understood it. But reading this article and seeing what's happening in the church today, uh, my problem was I did understand it. It was just not, it was Twilight Zone to me that this could happen, but it has. Um, uh, Father says the two main characters in the novella are a study in contrast, but also have a great deal in common. Father Kinsella, who's the abbot of this monastery, who is refused a boat ride to the monastery island because he is not dressed like a priest. Now, hold on a moment. Let me make sure I don't have... Um, <clears throat> no, he's not, the, he's not the abbot. He's a priest um, that he has sent to Muck Island to discipline this monastery and their monks. And so... Um, uh, let me get... I have to keep going up and down to find my spot. I'm so sorry. And so... Um, uh, he writes, the two main characters in the novella are a study in contrast, but also have a great deal in common. Father Kinsella, again, which is the American priest sent to this monastery by the, by the higher-ups, um, is refused a boat ride to the monastery island because he's not dressed like a priest. So he hires a helicopter to get there. He is a disciple of a libertationist priest, Gustav Hartmann, who decided that the best way to change the world was to use the institutional church. Kinsella was not allowed to go to South America, like his mentor, and has ended up a bureaucrat in the World Ecumen Council in Amsterdam. When Father Abbott asks him about his faith, he says, I do not believe that the bread and wine on the altar is changed into the body and blood of Christ, except in a purely symbolic manner. Therefore, I do not, in the old sense, think of God as actually being present there in the tabernacle. The abbot himself, however, has lost his faith. He has not prayed in years. His reason for allowing the old mass and private confession, which had been outlawed, listen to this, the old mass and private confession had been outlawed by Vatican IV, as, is, as was making the sign of the cross, and the Lord's Shrine, and even the traditional grace before meals, all that has been outlawed in this uh, film, in this book. Um, And so his reason for allowing the old mass and private confession is not that he is not a holy man, but maybe because I am not, the abbot says, because I'm not a holy man, I felt I had no right to interfere. I thought it was my duty not to disturb the faith they have, so I went back to the old way. End quote from the abbot. I'm sure Graham Greene must have admired Moore's abbot, a lost soul, austerely shepherding the souls of the faithful. Kinsella has not read the books that O'Malley has, and he does not want to talk about theology. He represents ecclesiastical power, quote, obedience in the end, it was the only card, end quote. This Kinsella had learned from the activist, Father Hartman. Minutes before the helicopter is prepared to take Father Kinsella away from Muck Island in advance of a threatened storm, the abbot capitulates. <coughs> Excuse
excuse me. The abbot capitulates, but he does not allow the priest inquisitor to speak with the other monks. He writes a letter apologizing to the father general and promising obedience. Then he convokes the monks, staring at the golden door of the tabernacle. His fear, let me reread that, staring at the golden door of the tabernacle, his fear came. Prayer is the only miracle, he said. We pray, if our words become prayer, God will come there. Sitting, I have chills, sitting right there, this unbelieving abbot, uh, sworn obedience to his uh, superior general that he would comply with the outrageous demands, all of a sudden got faith. Minutes before the helicopter is prepared to take Father Kinsilla away from Muck Island in advance of a threatened storm, the abbot capitulates. Oh, no, I went the wrong way. I'm so sorry. Father Tommaso Malley kneels down stiffly and says they are Father trembling. The ending is ambiguous. He is recognizing God present in the tabernacle, something Father Kinsilla denied. It is not clear how things will work out. In fact, I remember the end of that film. It, it looked like, since he had gained faith, they might be okay, but really was left very unclear. And the priest uh, writing this article said, <clears throat> if I wrote the novella, I would have Kinsella's, uh-oh, <laughs> I would have Kinsella's helicopter crash in the storm and have the monks go back to square one. More is more subtle and allows the reader some space for speculation as well as meditation. Well, I would not have Kinsella's helicopter crash. I would also have him converted. And the priest says, when a television movie based on the book came out in the 70s, which is what I saw, I remember a lay woman who taught at the seminary remarking how striking and frightening the story was. Jejun confidence made me volunteer the opinion that something like that could not happen. Kinsella's superior, who wants to force the monastery into submission, admits to the younger priest, quote, even Vatican IV cannot bury 2,000 years in a few decades, end quote. Sexual ethics and church order are not the same as Eucharistic heresy, but I think that it might be useful if some in Rome thought about the fictional superior's reflection, perhaps substituting another kind of meeting for Vatican IV. Meanwhile, some of us are caught on Muck Island wondering. Well, um, Father Antal, this, I think, was just an outstanding article. And after several years, finally helped me to fully understand the, mu- the, the movie, the film, which was confusing to me because I couldn't imagine all that really taking place. But that's exactly what took place. And the, the article identifies Monsignor Antal as pastor of Holy Name Parish in the Diocese of Cleveland. He is the author of the X-Mass Files, um, published by Atmosphere Press, and The Wedding, published by Lamming Press. Um, Thank you, Father Antal. Um, It's amazing how um, this, um, 
situation with uh, Bishop Strickland has um, has spurred this article, um, but it's understandable. And for those of you, we just have two minutes before the break. For those of you who did not hear the beginning of the article prior to the last break, <clears throat> it's I think it's so beautiful, the most beautiful thing that's been written about Bishop Strickland. I want to reread the beginning. Father Antol says, I watched the EWTN interview of Bishop Strickland, and that would have been, I'm guessing, with Raymond Arroyo on The World Over, which I also watched. Best interview Bishop Strickland has given. He said, I watched the interview of Bishop Strickland last night and had nightmares while I slept. The bishop, articulate and to my mind, innocent of all irony. That's so beautiful innocent of all irony, recounted what had happened in his process of deposition and professed his recognition of the Pope's authority and his obedience to his removal from office. The sincerity of the man's confusion, Bishop Strickland's confusion, about why he was singled out was piercing. Oh, God bless you, Father Antal. Many sources have hinted at administrative reasons without any real evidence <clears throat> And I'll say, dear ones, if you saw the interview of uh, Crisis Magazine with Eric Sammons of, of the uh, deacon Keith Fournier, uh, you, will, you will know that administrative reasons were not the reason. There is no reason given. The only reason is that the Vatican did not want Bishop Strickland speaking the clear truth of the gospel and the Apostolic Nuncio even denied to Bishop Strickland that there was a, such a thing as a deposit of faith. Father Antol says the fact that the protocol established for the removal of bishops was not honored, in Bishop Strickland's case, did not make him doubt the Pope's authority. His distress at the confusion caused by some of the statements that have come from the Vatican lately is logical and not some extremist reaction. He said, for instance, that only two years ago, the Vatican had said same-sex couple blessings were impossible. And yet the topic was introduced at the Synod on Synodality. The president of that assembly is on record doubting the biblical and traditional church teaching on sexual relations outside of marriage for same-sex attracted individuals. Um, Oh, my. Um, I have seen quite a bit of criticism of Bishop Strickland, which maybe represents 2% out of all the positive that has been given. Um, people say, he, well, he's a showman. Why did he go and pray the rosary outside the bishop's meeting? Why did he go to Baltimore when the apostolic nuncio told him he should not attend the meeting? And the reason he went is that a year ago he committed to the faithful that he would be with them at the bishop's meeting, the annual bishop's meeting, to pray a rosary with them. He committed to that, and he wasn't going to go back on his commitment. He went there to fulfill the commitment he had made to the lay faithful. Um, he's a humble, holy man, and whatever is going to happen with Bishop Strickland and with his diocese is totally in God's hands, not the devil's hands. It's in God's hands. Nothing happens that God doesn't permit. And so even if we get a, 
um, uh, This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for November 21st. Today we celebrate the presentation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. There's some uncertainty about the origin of today's feast. Nowhere in the Gospels do we read that Anna and Joachim presented Mary at the temple in Jerusalem. Some other early works indicate that Mary's parents made this offering to God when she was three years old to fulfill a promise Anna made while she was still childless. Despite the lack of historical evidence, Mary's presentation serves an important theological purpose. It flows from the earlier feasts of the Immaculate Conception and of Mary's Nativity, and it emphasizes that the holiness conferred on Mary from the very beginning of her life on earth continued through her early childhood and beyond. Whatever its history, the Feast of Mary's Presentation was celebrated in Jerusalem in the 6th century and in the Western Church in the 11th century. Although it was sometimes missing from the calendar, this feast was extended to the Universal Church in the 16th century. Today we celebrate the fact that from the beginning of her life, Mary was dedicated to God. She herself became a greater temple than any made by human hands. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. Many of you are familiar with Mother Miriam Live, but I wonder if you have listened to some of the other programs from the Station of the Cross, such as The Catholic Current, Father Robert McTagg discusses important topics in the church and in the world each weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern. You can listen anytime to The Catholic Current as a podcast on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am live, we are live, and we have a half hour all to ourselves now, and I am thrilled for that. Feel free to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Uh, toll free one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. Hold on just a moment. I need. Uh, okay, here we go. Hold on just a moment. I'm looking something up myself. And we got it. Okay. So we're going to go to your calls and your emails with anything whatsoever on your heart. Um, and again, it, the, the heart of the matter is the matter of your heart. Uh, it doesn't have to be what we're speaking of. We're going to take an anonymous email that we started a last program and didn't have proper time to deal with it. It's written uh, from someone, as I say, who writes it anonymously and says, what is the difference between oral traditions and the other traditions of the church. Can oral traditions be changed in a way that the others cannot? I was always under the impression that all traditions of the church could not be changed because they are just that, traditions. How does the Holy See determine which traditions can and cannot be changed? Um, 
Dear Anonymous, this is such an important topic, and so many people question what is oral versus written. Um, everything was oral before it was written, by the way. We wouldn't have the scriptures if we didn't have oral tradition, because um, the faith was taught orally before it was ever uh, able to be written down. So it was all oral. Um, there's a very good article on Catholic Answers site, catholic.com, and the title is Sacred Scripture Depends on Sacred Tradition because the oral tradition came before writing. Um, Jesus spoke to his disciples long before the things he taught were written down. And so um, this is so important, beloved. I, I'd like to read this article to you. And you can also go to catholic.com and type in oral tradition or um, tradition of God versus the tradition of men, all of that. Uh, Apostle Paul taught that we need to adhere, uh, to hold fast to the tradition which he taught, whether in word or spoken, uh, because it was all spoken before it was ever written. And the only written tradition that Paul would refer to was the Old Testament. There was no New Testament, no writing. And so any time that the, the writers speak to the tradition um, that you were taught, if it was in writing, it's talking about Old Testament. New Testament wasn't compiled yet. And so even after it was, literacy uh, uh, wasn't, didn't abound, um, uh, many of those things. Let me see if I can see how this article will help us, because it should help a lot, uh, particularly the understanding between Catholics and Protestants. It is historical fact that man communicated orally <clears throat> before he wrote things down. Whether one puts the beginning of mankind at 5,000 B.C. or 5 million B.C., and I know there are those who put it way past that, there's no archaeological evidence of any written communication earlier than 4,000 B.C. The outside date any scripture scholars are willing to give for the beginning of the writing down of the Torah, that is the law, the first five books of Moses, um, is approximately 1450 B.C., 1450 B.C., which is the approximate date of the Exodus. Yet the Torah conveys facts relating to God's creating the universe and events that happened as far as back as circa 1850 B.C., when God brought Abram from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan, Genesis chapter 11. Obviously, unless we were to dismiss the validity of the entire Bible, we must admit the Jews had an accurate oral tradition. Um, um, from, the, from the Latin traditio, meaning uh, traditio, meaning handed or passed down, centuries prior to its being recorded in writing. The life of a human being works similarly. Listen to this, because it may be of help. Once born, the, the human being learns to speak long before it can write. It learns what is right and wrong from what its parents say and do. Only after years of upbringing does a child, um, can a child learn to read and write. And so the life of a human being parallels that of sacred scripture. Oral tradition necessarily, necessarily precedes the act of writing. The same is true for the New Testament. 
Jesus spoke to his disciples long before the things he taught were written down. While tradition means a handing down, sacred tradition means the handing down of divine revelation from one generation of believers to the next, as preserved under the divine guidance of the Catholic Church established by Christ. The Second Vatican Council, in its dogmatic constitution of divine revelation, titled Dei Verbum, defines sacred tradition as what the apostles, who by their oral preaching, by example, and by observances, handed on what they had received from the lips of Christ, from living with him, and from what he did, or what they learned from the prompting of the Holy Spirit. End quote. From Dei Verbum. Sacred tradition, of which sacred scripture is a part, is a deeply penetrating, living reality. It is transmitted to us through the practices of the church since apostolic times. These include official professions of faith from the Apostles' Creed, given to us about A.D. 120, the Nicene Creed, Nicene Creed, pardon me, at uh, A.D. 325, to the Credo of the People of God by Pope Paul VI, 1968, the official teachings of the 21 ecumenical councils of the Church, from Nicaea, 325 to 381, to Vatican II, 1962 to 65, the writings of Church Fathers and Doctors, papal documents, sacred scripture, sacred liturgy, and even Christian art that portrays what we believe and how we worship over the centuries. Many non-Catholics today claim to base their, base their faith on the Bible alone, a doctrine known as sola scriptura, scripture alone. This was a phase coined by the Reformation Protestants who broke away from the church in the 1500s. In addition to rejecting papal authority in all matters, daily governance, teaching authority, etc., the Protestants reject sacred tradition. But where did the Bible come from? It came from the church, not vice versa. In apostolic times, most people were illiterate. So what Christ said and did was passed on orally. Christ instructed the apostles where to go into, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Christ instructed the apostles were to go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Mark chapter 16, how could our Lord order them to preach the gospel at a time when the gospels themselves did not exist in written form? Unless one is to accuse our Lord of being unreasonable, the only answer is that the gospel, which means good news, already existed in oral form as a part of the sacred tradition of the church, handed on from the lips of Christ. From the year of Christ's resurrection until roughly 100 A.D., the New Testament itself was not completely written. And in the view of many, nothing was written prior to the year 50-50. Yet this was a period of tremendous growth for the church. How could it have grown intact with the same teachings being passed on orally and consistently? unless the Holy Spirit was safeguarding the transmission of sacred scripture, sacred tradition, how were so many converted without the aid of sacred scripture, if not with the aid of sacred tradition? 
many Protestant churches in order to circumvent the sacred tradition issue, maintain that the Catholic Church fell into error at some point before the Reformation. And they are somehow in a position to judge where God and his church have gone wrong. But sacred scripture contains many of Christ's promises to protect and safeguard his church until the end of time. He tells the apostles, I am with you always, to the close of the age, Matthew 28. Again, he promises, I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, John 14. Jesus promises, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come, John 16. And Paul calls the church the pillar and bulwark of the truth, 1 Timothy 3. These verses are quite clear. The one true church Christ founded cannot err because God, who can neither deceive or be deceived, protects it for all time. Another place sacred scripture is quite clear is the divine origin of the papacy and therefore its divine authority. Our Lord says to Peter, Matthew 16, quote, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. A common Protestant argument against the Catholic interpretation of this passage is that the Lord's words refer only to Peter and nobody after him. But would the creator of the universe, who took the awesome trouble of, to become man in order to save us from our sins, leave us without a competent guide after Peter? Did God not have enough foresight? Do human families, governments, and even corporations institute appropriate structures to ensure smooth transitions of power? Could our Lord have somehow forgotten this or not been concerned enough with the man's welfare? If, when left on his own, man had ruined and perverted life since the fall of Adam and Eve, made things worse at the Tower of Babel, killed God's prophets, and ultimately crucified God himself, do you think he would leave us without a clear succession of vicars on earth? I doubt it. In denying the clear meaning of Matthew 16, verses 18 to 19, Protestants actually reject some of what they propose to accept completely and entirely, namely, sacred scripture. Excuse me. Sacred scripture positions itself as a part, albeit a very important part, of a much bigger picture, that is, sacred tradition. At the end of his gospel... John tells us that not everything taught by Christ was written down. Quote from John 21, there are also many other things which Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John 21, the things Paul taught orally, he considered sacred tradition. He says in 2 Timothy, Follow the pattern of the sound words 
that you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard the truth that has been entrusted to you by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And then he elaborates further. And what you have heard from me before many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul describes in sacred scripture exactly how sacred tradition is passed on by hearing, in another word, orally. There's the music for our final break, beloved. We'll come back. We'll have about 10 minutes. I'm going to continue with this article. It's too crucial, beloved. I don't know if we'll finish it, but we'll continue with it. And then uh, I know you're waiting some calls and emails, or at least emails, and we'll take them uh, first up tomorrow. We'll be right back. Please join us in a prayer to St. Anthony of Padua. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O dear protector, St. Anthony, on this day we direct our fervent prayer to you, asking you to hear us and to intercede for us. We are parents who ask for peace in our families, our worthy occupations, and our daily bread. We are children who ask for divine assistance and protection in the hope of a successful and happy future. We are the needy poor, the afflicted, and sinners who come to you for help and grace. Therefore, speak on our behalf to that child whom you hold in your arms, and we are sure of being heard. Amen. Station of the Cross began broadcasting in Buffalo, New York in 1999. Since then, our listening areas have multiplied and expanded into several states. While our mission is to grow the Catholic faith through radio and other media outlets, our apostolate is supportive of but independent from your local diocese. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. The Catholic Current, bringing Christ to the world and the world to Christ. And we see that spirit of that thing, you know, entering the church in a very specific way with St. Pius X back at the turn of the last century, and then on into the Second Vatican Council era, and the spirit of a council is the great coming out party of the modernist revolution, which has its roots in that same Enlightenment uh, philosophy right. of, of, right. the, of the 18th century. The Catholic Current, 5 p.m. Eastern, from the Station of the Cross and on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Beloved, welcome back to Mother Miriam Live. Um, We are in the middle of... Uh, maybe toward the end of an article having to do with uh, sacred tradition that contains sacred scripture. Sacred scripture is dependent on uh, oral tradition because everything was given 
until the New Testament was written down. And so let me just repeat two quotes, two scripture verses, and we'll continue. Um, This is an article from Catholic Answers, catholic.com, and it says sacred scripture is dependent on sacred tradition, which is was totally oral, passed down before we uh, began to write things, and it was until the 16th century that we even had the printing press to multiply them. And it says the things Paul taught orally, he considered sacred tradition. Quote from First Timothy chapter one, uh, rather Second uh, Timothy chapter one: Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard the truth that has been entrusted to you by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Paul's words to Timothy. And then he elaborates further in 2 Timothy, saying, And what you have heard from me before many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Um, That's how sacred tradition has been passed down, totally orally. What is already written is Old Testament. At another time, Paul writes that sacred tradition may be handed on orally or by writing. I quoted this verse earlier, Second Thessalonians. Sorry, easy for you to say. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses fourteen and fifteen. Quote to this, Paul says to the Thessalonians, to this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, not the traditions of men, the traditions of God, the traditions which you were taught by us, us, either by word of mouth or by letter. So there, Paul writes letters to them, but those letters weren't scripture. They maybe became scripture. Some did, some did not. God, out of the sheer gratuitous goodness of his heart, has guaranteed the full integrity of divine revelation being simultaneously preserved and transmitted from one generation of believers to the next. Its fullness is embodied in his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and in the teachings he passed on to his apostles by his words and deeds. The apostles, in turn, communicated this deposit of faith to others by their words and deeds. Only some of what our Lord said did they write down. The apostles, um, this is the catechism, the apostles entrusted the sacred deposit of the faith, that is, um, the deposit of faith that Bishop Strickland keeps speaking about, contained in sacred scripture and tradition, to the whole of the church, catechism of the Catholic Church, number 84. To this day, divine revelation is transmitted by two sources, sacred tradition and sacred scripture. Therefore, sacred tradition and sacred scripture form one sacred deposit of the word of God committed to the church. These two sources of divine revelation which make up this one sacred deposit are safeguarded and defended by the sacred magisterium, the teaching authority of the church, whose job it is to guarantee the authenticity of the message while at the same time remaining its servant. Excuse me. I'd like the Vatican, those that be at the Vatican today, to read this. These two sources of divine revelation, 
which make up this one sacred deposit, are safeguarded and defended by the sacred magisterium, that is, the teaching authority of the church, whose job it is to guarantee the authenticity of the message, while at the same time remaining its servant. Here are the words from um, Dei Verbum. Quote, the task of authentically interpreting the word of God, whether written or spoken, has been entrusted exclusively to the living teaching office of the church, whose authority is exercised in the name of Jesus Christ. This teaching office is not above the word of God, but serves it, teaching only what has been handed on, listening to it devoutly, guarding it scrupulously, and explaining it faithfully. In accord with the divine commission and with the help of the Holy Spirit, it draws from this one deposit of faith everything which it presents for belief as divinely revealed. I don't know if anyone involved in the Synod on Synodality um, believes that today. The sacred magisteria, well, Cardinal Mueller and others do, but those who think they're above the magisterium, who deny the deposit of faith, um, they are um, totally in error. The sacred magisterium is embodied in the living teaching office and authority of the papacy. Immediately after declaring Peter the first pope, our Lord gives him the keys to the kingdom of heaven so that whatever the papacy declares, binding on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever the papacy declares, loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It is here that sacred scripture confirms the reality and power of the sacred magisterium. Um, hold on now. Let me just see. I think I can... I think we can fit this last in. The subject of purgatory provides a clear-cut example of how sacred tradition works. Protestants object that pur- purgatory is unbiblical. The Catechism explains the doctrine of purgatory in this way, quote, All those who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death, they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. Catechism 1030. The catechism cites sacred scripture uh, in invalidating what they're saying. It cites um, 1 Corinthians 315, 1 Peter 1, 7, Matthew 1231, 2 Maccabees 1246, It cites sacred tradition, three ecumenical councils of Lyon, Florence, and Trent. It cites a papal encyclical, Benedictus Deus by Pope Benedict XII. And it cites two church fathers who are also doctors of the church, Gregory the Great and John Chrysostom. Or we can quote just the scripture passages from 1 Corinthians 15. If any man's work is burned up, He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. 2 Maccabees. Therefore he made atonement for the dead that they might be delivered from their sin. Or quite firmly, with full certitude, because of sacred tradition, we can say we believe 
the doctrine of purgatory simply because that is what the Catholic Church teaches. End of the article from Catholic Answers. Um, you can go there, catholic.com, and read the full article, study it, give it to your Protestant friends, give it to Catholic friends who are confused about church teaching um, because the current magisterium is either confused or outright um, apostate. Um, as Bishop Strickland said, matters that are up for grabs for discussion at the, such as the same-sex blessings, um, matters that are up for even discussion are, are was decided 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago. They are truth. They are the deposit of faith. It cannot change. If it's truth, application of truth can change. But if the application contradicts the truth, it's false. So, beloved, God bless you. And we'll be with you tomorrow, God willing.